And hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of So How'd You Get Here? I'm Angelo. This is Tony. And today we have a very special guest, and I'm going to say your last name correctly. Here we go. Craig Grivey. Oh, congratulations. Two Italians saying a German name. That's right. I'm, <laughs> we got it right. Did it. I, I practiced it like nine times so before. So Madison we... Cawthorn references there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you have so many credits over here. I don't even know where to start. So um, we should probably start with the theme of the show. So how'd you get here? Oh, I mean, like, oh, all right, all right. I, yeah, I mean, like, where are you from? And when oh, you I was gonna to say, like, I don't drive my car anymore, so that was a blast this oh, morning. Like, yeah, I was like, I was super excited. <laughs> I was like, oh wow, yes, the homeless problem is definitely real. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, uh, sadly. No, I grew up in rural Indiana. Okay, right? so um, Hoosiers. So, have you seen the movie Hoosiers? We have. Yes, Gene Hackman. My town was the town next door. Okay, still like that. Seventy oh. years later, like hasn't changed. Um, and I mean, we, we had 274 kids in my freshman class and we graduated with like 150, like high school. And 149 played basketball. Yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> yeah, and I was the one who did not. Yeah. You, were you uh, the guy who shoots the grandma shot from yeah, the was, granny shot? What is that called? Horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was horrible at sports. Um, Mike Pence's congressional district long before he was crazy. Okay. Uh, okay. And and I mean, it was a place where like you did not know what the world was like. I didn't meet a black person until my senior year in high school when a a couple in town adopted eight Haitian children. Oh, wow. That like you just weren't exposed to it. It wasn't anywhere. I mean, it was also Indiana. So like it wasn't like. We were in the middle of, uh, you know, a bustling civic enterprise. Right. Uh, and Wabash, Indiana. Been there twice. Oh. All 12 to... people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wabash. <laughs> My uh, best friend's I, right from there, so, yeah. Okay. I, I went to um, I went to Depa, uh, which is just down the street, a rival there uh, for a bit. And then, you know, I grew up, like, so poor, uh, you couldn't afford shoes. Like, literally, like, you have to tape the soles of your shoes to your feet yeah, and yeah. Like, everything else. And uh, so when I think about, like, I now have a shoe wall, because, like, they say, <laughs> you, you, they say your child is responsible for everything in your life, which is right. true in that case. I have a whole wall of sneakers now. Uh, and I didn't even know what you did in life. I didn't know how you get out of that. I was orphaned at 14. I got a job oh, wow. and an apartment because they don't care about child labor laws in, Cal- in uh, Indiana. And so <laughs> it was like, cool. Uh, and then I literally was like, how do you Wait, they let you sign for your own apartment at 14 years old? Yeah. Yeah. It's like not a thing oh. in, in Indiana. As long like, as you could pay the bills or like. Yeah. They're like, I, yeah. I don't even remember signing anything. I just remember <laughs> giving somebody cash. <laughs> for, all, for all I know. Um, yeah. So I literally had this moment in high school where I was like, how do, how do you go to college? No right. one. It's not a thing. What is the main industry of trade? There's a coal or is it? Is uh, it lumber? Corn, corn, like corn, corn, corn like farming, farming industry. Yeah. Like every time people pay like twelve dollars to eat edamame out here, I'm like, <laughs> there's like fields full of soybeans where I grew up, and they're not yeah. twelve dollars. Monsanto, Kroger, yeah. all yeah, those guys. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was all farmers. Um, I mean, I grew up surrounded in three sides by cornfields and the four side by a dirt road and a forest. Right, like it was wow. crazy town, and. Uh, I figured out how to go to college. I got a scholarship because it turns out like a poor little orphan child is a very appealing target for scholarships. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I learned how to like tell that story in a way that would be financially beneficial to me. Uh, and so where'd I, you end up going? Uh, DePauw oh, in, okay. in Indiana. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, where, where I got into a whole lot of trouble, uh, administrative trouble because uh, orphans have problems with authority figures. So I got into a nah. battle. Yeah, no, right. Nah. Got into a battle with the administration. Um, it turns out that they were forging the credentials of minority professors in order to make them qualified to hire more of them. So, and I went public with that information. Didn't go over well. Uh, then I went out to USC. Okay. Uh, where I had never been to LA before. Sat down at the welcome picnic, and some girl said she was from Ontario. I said, why'd you move here from Canada? So fig- she did not take that kindly, and then I figured out L.A. was a very different place. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and fast forward, why'd I was... Why'd you move here from Canada? <laughs> I'm from... <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so then I was uh, at USC living my best life because everybody there was pretty, and the sun was always shining, and right. we were in the middle of a drought, so it didn't rain once in two years. <laughs> So was, this was what, late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, yeah 2002 yeah, yeah. to 2004. Okay. Got it. Because when I moved here in 2004, that's when they got the most amount of rain yes. ever. Yes. It's, um, yep, it was, uh, I remember that, that year, Will McCormick was hosting the Critic Choi- Critics' Choice Awards, and it rained that night and yeah. washed out the red carpet, and he opened his bit by saying, 
you know, God said he would never flood the earth again, but then he took one look at Hollywood and was like, yeah, uh, exception. <laughs> yeah, they said they got more rain that year than they had the last nine years combined. That is crazy. Like that. that is correct. I remember that because we were working on Hotel Rwanda that year um, and it, going the award circuit route. Um, Sorry, I got you off track. No, no. And so I, yeah, I ended up uh, as an intern at Warner Brothers where I like started, I asked everybody where I could do anything. You started out in the mailroom at Warner Brothers, correct? Uh, yeah, mailroom intern. I, I I ran around and asked so anybody. I started at yeah. Fox in Building Fifty Nine okay. for Joe Hartwick. Okay, throwing out trash, running things around my little golf cart. I, that was my job. I asked everyone, like my the person who ran my internship didn't have anything for me to do, so I just went desk to desk and was like, "Do you have anything for me to do?" And this one woman, Monica, who was an assistant there, she's like, "This is back when things got filed." She's she said, "All I have to do, all I have is this filing, and you don't want to do that." I said, "I'll do it." but on one condition, can I read everything and can I ask you questions if I don't understand? And she's like, sure. Sat there for a week, filed what was like three feet tall worth of paper, learned everything anyone needed to know about film marketing and publicity. (laughs) And then the next week was in a meeting with the head of publicity and she asked a question and typical, like no one raised their hand to answer. So in the back of the room, like the intern raised their hand and says, oh yeah, it would be this, 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 and this. And she was, she was like, who are she's you? Like, yeah, who are, who are, you? are you? You're like who Michael you? J. Fox yeah. in The Secret yeah. of My Success. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know who what I mean? <laughs> and she's like, do you want to work on this? I was like, sure. So I ended up not being an intern, got hired as a consultant, and and then the rest was history. And that was, it was So you whole. kind of fell C- into No, PR. you did the work is <clears throat> what you did. I did the work, which is my fundamental like philosophy about like, it's just do the damn work. Love That's, it. Yeah. Do the damn work. Right. Uh, Thank you. Is, Finally, say, see? It does pay off sometimes. So many people. And I fell backwards into everything I did. I actually never... I haven't interviewed for a job in 15, 16 years. Every job has like just been one right. segue to the next. Well, we're interviewing you right now. Just yeah, so yeah, you yeah. know. Well, okay. Valid. Right. I don't know. There for may what be the three th- hosts by the end of this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, I, I can leave if you want to be yeah, here. Because yeah. I don't know how to use this. I, yeah, I don't know. How to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would be a really I don't know to do my hands. I like, I, yeah, I can sit here and I can hold a mug. Yeah, uh, right. You have technical equipment that I would be like, eh. I was like, ooh. Yeah. So that's, that, why we, that's why we partnered up. That's yeah. why we partnered up. That's why he's got all this fancy stuff. He's the face. I'm the talent. So, uh, <laughs> you, sir, you got, you got put up on this job because you did the work and then did how, the work. what did that lead to? More jobs, more work, more people who kept telling me that it was, that they were like, you know, someday you're going to be like, you're going to run this town. Like, and I was like, that's cute. That's nice. That's the thing. Yeah, thing of course. Encourage people. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and so then I realized along the way I was at Disney. So I went through a whole lot of crazy campaigns. Like, I mean, uh, I've never, you know. Everything from Hotel Rwanda uh, at MGM and De Lovely, which was a, a Cole Porter musical. Uh, okay. Try making America fall in love with the Cole Porter musical. They love Cole Porter. A Cole Porter right, musical right. with a lot of gay sex, not so much. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it's, very, really, it's a niche. Yeah, very niche, very niche. Uh, but if the, Ryan Murphy produced it now, it might be a hit. Like, yeah, it'd be a hit in its first season, and then it'd be really crappy right, in its second right. season, right? Uh, so, That's true. Um, so, you know, then uh, MGM, Warner Brothers, uh, Disney, and then I was at Disney, and I looked at my boss, and I was like, I don't want to be my boss. Like, I don't want their job. I don't uh, want to okay. do this. And lawyers looked sexy on TV, so I was yeah. like, I should go to law school. Uh, I did not want to be a lawyer. I just wanted to look like a sexy lawyer on TV. Um, it's all about goals. So yeah. I, 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 stu- I didn't really study. I took like a book to the park every weekend in like uh, the Hancock Park, which is not in Hancock Park, the neighborhood, but Hancock Park is that park around Lachma. Mm-hmm. Okay. Typical, oh, yeah, yeah. typical inexplicable Los Angeles is Hancock Park. The park is not in Hancock Park, <laughs> the neighborhood. Exactly. Uh, filled with tar pits emitting methane. Uh, so uh, I was <laughs> studying my book while <laughs> surrounded by methane, which may have explained a lot about <laughs> the destruction I've wreaked on Havoc on. I've never done drugs. Yeah, but <laughs> like, methane, need to. methane. Mainstream meth- drugs. Yeah, <laughs> mainstream drugs. You want to huff methane out of a tar pit. Like, I while studying you. for your your yeah. your law it's a degree. great date spot. Uh, I could yeah I could not uh, I could not afford to go to law school because I was still right poor. I was an assistant uh, and I was then a coordinator or whatever. And then uh, so I was like I'm just gonna take the LSAT to see what happens. But it, it turned out if you do well on the LSAT, they send you a bunch of waivers so you don't have to pay to apply to law schools. And then people start sending you scholarships. And at oh, this wow. point, I knew how to sell the orphan story. Yeah. Right. So use what use what the good Lord gave you. And I ended up uh, on a full ride at Columbia in New York. The one thing Jeez. I vowed when I was going to law school was that I was not going to go to law school in New York. And it turns out that <laughs> karma, <laughs> karma has come back a lot of times. Full scholarship to New York. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So I was there. Um, 
uh, once again ran into trouble with the administration because orphans have th- problems with authority figures. Uh, finished there, came back to LA, uh, did a whole lot of fun, crazy, wild things there, and then worked for Quinn Emanuel, which is an amazing litigation firm in LA, while starting to consult for all of my old bosses. And then eventually, a year and a day, I, I literally asked the law firm, how long do I have to work here? And God bless his soul, a mentor of mine, Bill, the late Bill Urquhart, said, give me a year and a day. So a year and a day, I walked into his office and I was like, yo, I'm out. Um, <laughs> he, he laughed and he was like, great. Uh, and I, it was, by that point, I was consulting for all of my old bosses, uh, launching DirecTV's original program, programming. Back then, not everybody was creating original programming. Right, right. So like, it was like a new thing then. Uh, <laughs> What was a traumatic experience. It was a, I don't know if you know the show Rogue. It went on to successfully like five seasons with Tandy Newton. But it, this is notable because I keep getting handed the problem child projects. Like, so this was a their very first original series that they spent way too much money on. And I remember, so the, the, the inciting incident in the pilot is in the first three minutes, they shoot a first grader in the forehead in front of his school yeah. and they kill him. And I remember being on the treadmill at the gym and the, the news crawl uh, about... Uh, uh, like the new like town, the, the yeah, new yeah. town school shooting, and they oh, shot yeah. a bunch of new, first yeah. graders. And I was like, oh, six weeks before we were to debut, I was like, that's it. getting pulled. Nope, no, nope. I asked. I was told no. I was told make it work. What? <laughs> we did make it work. It became the number one hit in Directv's history. It be it like if one out of four people who had Directv watched the the pilot of that show, like if we had been on network television, it would be the equivalent of Mash. Like it was like we oh, made wow. it. We, we made it work. Yeah. It was hard. Uh, and then, um, you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up uh, having my own agency, which I did not intend on doing. Do you think that was because of it was relevant at the time rather than considered oh, offensive? No, no, people definitely found it offensive. And the filmmakers would not change it. Um, I hid it. I hid it from all of our marketing. <laughs> and until I, it was too late to Until really. it was too late to turn in. And then I all like, they wouldn't move it, but they moved it after the first three minutes because we did market testing that if we got people in on the first three minutes and then we shot the first grader that they would stay watching the show. So like it, it ended up doing its job. But, but then I remember a show like sons of anarchy had like season four, they had a kid bringing Uzi to school and like, so, but that was after that was after so they we were the were first ma- brunt of that. Right. And right. the filmmakers showed the bullet hitting the kid. Oh which yeah. They was, didn't show it. They just showed. Yeah. It was super fun. The kid uh, like, had a gun. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I, I mean, it's, you, you, the, the, the things that happen out in the world are tragic and awful. And then they get into your daily world right. and it's like, you have to figure out a way to like work with that. It's like working on hotel Rwanda with Paul Rusesa Bagina, who like right. was the real life hero. And you're just like, you know, he had a dark sense of humor about everything he went through and he had to. Well, didn't they Spider-Man there was, they had to reshoot a section with the twin towers cause they were taken down. So yeah. everybody was runs to cut it. And I'm like, why like, I wasn't intending to be insulting. No. Like, why can't it right. stay in the film sometimes? Yeah, I think we we live in a culture, you know, in my job now, it's my job to look at where we are in culture and where we're going. And we live in a culture where I think the vast majority of people are reasonable and the vast majority of people are understandable, but everybody's so afraid of the extremes. We've, like, we've given control over to the 10% on, on the left and the 10% on the right. Right. And... Right. and, and, and and there's reasons why that happens and there's reasons there's a, the, there's ways to undo that. But that's, you know, we got off track, but that's where, how I got yeah, where I am. Yeah. And what I do now is try yeah. to figure out that problem. That actually, I don't problem. think that's off track. Yeah, That'd actually be on, really on, yeah. nice moving as we continue to create stuff. And so do you like how to, rather than complaining, like how do we gain some of that freedom back? Yeah. I mean, at, at the fundamental core of it, we need to, we need to just, we're never honest with the public. We're never honest with ourselves. We're never honest about what we're doing. Like social media isn't social media. It's a, it's a, it is a paid media platform. These are, these are for-profit companies. I don't fault them for that. Like if you created, if you created a a widget and you wanted to sell a widget and make a profit off of it, you created the widget, right? This happens to be the widget. Um, Now it's the same thing for our news organizations, unfortunately, right? Which is they used to sell subscriptions, but now they sell clicks which means that every headline is clickbait, right? Like, so I have zero respect for the LA Times because they, they are in desperate search of clickbait. Right. And right. so what, what happens is then social media algorithms are programmed to give more space to things that generate more engagement. They think, like, that's how their, their AI, and their AI is very smart, but it's not smart enough to have contextual understanding. 
So then you I did like the doc, the social dilemma. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was actually pretty good. Yeah, my staff watched that and then came in and said, are we part of the problem? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. We yeah. all are a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, sort of, but we're working to solve the problem. But I like that. The answer is there's all kinds of bots and, and we, can, we can have a whole separate podcast on the, the Russian Internet Research Agency and the Chinese firewall, um, the, the Great Firewall and all, all the millions of people. Like, you know, when we do the math, it turns out about... 2% of the internet is real. Like that's, that's, that's how, that's Oof. how crazy it is. And, and so what you want to do is you want to navigate that, but the easiest way to navigate that, because the, the reality is the vast majority of people live in the middle. They are not controversial. They do not think someone be, should be canceled. They do like, right. It, canceling is not, it's not, it's a misnomer of a term anyway. Like they want reasonable conversation and they, and, and people are allowed to make mistakes because people are human. Then you have the 10% on either side who are puritanical ideologues and they're just as bad on the right as they are on the left. But those people aren't spending money. If you, the, the <laughs> key out, the, the answer is the key out is paid media. Because if you promote your message to the right people, to a receptive audience using paid media, the, the platform only cares, they care about engagement, but the one thing they care about more than engagement is money. So if you outbid the organic engagement by a penny, you win and you take that slot. Got it. So you can, there, but we haven't gotten there. We're not honest about that. Right. So people are like, my post about how the world is full of rainbows and sunshine got five likes, <laughs> but my post about how I'm going to burn it all down got 50. And like suddenly people are in the wrong direction. Yeah. yeah so why is it that the 10 on the left and the 10 on the right are the ones that are allowed to cancel and like they have, because they we seem to have all the power. Because we give in to them, right? You don't have to give in to them. Ralph Northam is still governor of Virginia. Right, like right. he was like, okay, go, yeah. go screw yourself. Yeah. Right? Like I was like, how many how many things are you gonna have to censor out of this? But like, <laughs> you can say the F word. Well, yeah, it's right. fine. Uh, it's fine. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm I am. You know, you look. Let's look at very timely, relevant. Right. So the Cuomo investigation. Right. So let me say that at the outset that everyone who makes an allegation should be heard, and every allegation should be investigated in a respectful manner. Period. Now, that doesn't mean that every allegation is true. And it doesn't mean that every allegation is something wrong, right? Like, so our, we, there is an actual legal definition. This is where I get to like bring my like lawyerly yeah, phase yeah. in. There is a legal. Oh, you mean from that college that you went to in New York that you said you would never go to? <laughs> yeah. Scholarships. I don't, I don't scholarships. listen to hip uh, <laughs> There is, there is a legal definition of sexual harassment and there is a criminal definition of sexual harassment. We think out in the world that we could just say we feel sexually harassed. I was right. like, cool. That's Amanda Cooper with the bird watcher in New York. Like, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. do nothing wrong. Right. You're standing so, there watching birds. So when we look at each of the individual allegations against Cuomo, like, I am fully in support of all of those allegations being investigated. I'm fully in support of him staying in office while they're investigated. And he, by the way, he will because right. he's a strong motherfucker. And I respect that about him. Um, you know, that we, we run into this question of like, do you let it, right? Do you, um, you know, whatever happens, how do you respond? And the thing is, people just respond really crappily. You have Garcetti running out of the back of his house in a cop car trying to avoid protesters. I was yeah. like, you're a moron, right? Like, regardless of whether you are a smart policy tactician, public perception matters mm -hmm. and how you engage in that public perception and how you meet that public perception matters. But the answer is we don't have to let the extremes cancel each other. We don't have to listen to the extremes, right? You can amplify the voices of the middle and be respected for that. Um, and so, you know, and some people preach, say, Craig, preach. <laughs> preach. It's the reasonable middle ground. We're really tired of people shouting at each other. And I think the, uh, sadly the balanced or healthy middle, we, um, we don't, we're not as vocal as the ones that are on that are bored looking for something to fight well, about. And we're not vocal because we're like, okay, we've, we've actually done market research on this. So people are not vocal for a couple of different reasons. One, to the extent they are vocal, platforms deprioritize it. It doesn't engage share, sharing, like it's not engaging. So then it feels like you're the only one that's being reasonable, mm -hmm. which means that you don't really want to stick your neck out and be the only one. And then you are also afraid of the puritanical ideologues. And it's this like never ending cycle of, Whatever, and so everybody creates this bubble. They're like, I'm just going to lack live. of unity and fear. So yeah, the two yeah, and it's I like I'm going right to I'm going to live inside my bubble and protect me and my family and my friends and carve out a good life. And I don't really need to put my neck out there, which I was a 
I was a part of that. And then now I'm not a part of that. Now I'm putting my neck out there and I'm like, Oh hell. Um, <laughs> somebody has got to do it. So, but I am, I am placing the bet that there's going to be a whole lot of people when there's somebody who's willing to put their neck out there, there's going to be a whole lot of people who are willing to do that too, as long as they know that they're not alone. And that's yeah. how we conquer that. We don't conquer this. I mean, listen, there are smart policies we can put in place. Like I, I, I don't matter doesn't matter what anyone says. Like Congress is not is not the quick policy making body that's gonna <laughs> keep up with the internet. Like Lady Diane Feinstein is certainly not my expert on social media algorithms, right? <laughs> and she's crafting her and her staff are crafting legislation. So that's not really the way to go. Like there are ways to do that, but the w- the way is to use the system against itself, right? You can break a system. All you have to do is break the system and force the private companies to respond. GameStop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, force force companies to respond, right? So if you use the the algorithms against themselves using paid media, then you can force the companies to find a better response. And they are trying. They are moving slowly. I I have been privy to conversations at clients I can't mention who are part of that debate who are actively trying to figure it out. But when you got to keep in mind they're they're competing against 20 million click farmers in Southeast Asia. 4 million Chinese censors, uh, a million people working for the Russian Internet Research Agency who are cyber terrorists. And that doesn't include the cyber terrorists out of Iran and China and the rest of the world. Like you got to like they're they're playing. If we're thinking that we're playing four dimensional chess just by getting by in life, they're playing like 19 dimensional chess. And they're (laughs) and everybody while the whole world is screaming at them, figure it out. (laughs) I'm like, that's, it's not a productive way to go about a thing. All that right. was a rant. Sorry. I love it. No, we love it. So, no, you're, yeah. lo- you're teaching me stuff. I'm, that's yeah. why you're here. Well, I like <laughs> to hear those kind of insights. The viewers are like, what the hell is this conversation yeah. about? Well, no, I asked it because, I mean, part of the reason we even created this is because, you know, yeah, it's a lockdown, but also narrative stuff kind of hit the brakes. And I'm like, well, what else can we do that still engages creates good content i get to learn stuff we get to brag about you like part of this podcast is finding i love people bragging about me (laughs) and i love the opportunity for us to like i will never turn down an opportunity to talk about like how we need to be honest with people if we are just honest with people they're a whole lot more receptive to anything you want to say if you fuck up you say i'm sorry this is what happened this is why it happened it's not an excuse it's an explanation i'm sorry and i'm not gonna do it again also that doesn't it feels like um, lately there's been, uh, y- if you make one mistake, you're out. And it's like mm-hmm. the person who's judging you with that isn't perfect. Oh, They couldn't live up to the standard yeah. they're holding look you to. The, look at the Golden Globes. I reserve the right to be wrong and change my mind sometimes. Why is that a problem? Look at the Golden Globes. Everybody coming for the Golden Globes because they don't have a black member. I'm like, okay, but they have... They are the most diverse organization in Hollywood, to be clear. They have Bangladeshis and Indians and Arabs and Africans and South Americans and Latin Americans. Like, they don't have an, an American black member, but that's how we as Americans define black. Right. Right. Like, they, they like globally, that's not how every other country does it. Right. So, we are imposing an American de- definition on ethnicity and race and picking out one race above all others on a global organization that happens to have like 50 races and ethnicities. And we're saying, you're 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 racist. Meanwhile, you don't have an African American, right? Yeah. and so yeah, for a foreign organization, exactly. Right? Like yeah, yeah. Ask any black African if they feel like they share an experience with an African American, right? right? Exactly. Like, and I'm not saying they don't need to look for a black member. That they don't need to be more inclusive. That they don't need reforms. Absolutely, they need to make changes. But everybody coming for them about this, I'm like, all of these whitewashed publicity management, uh, creative agencies, uh, how many deadline in the LA times, how many Arabs are in the deadline and LA times newsroom? How many Bangladeshis, how many Indians, right? But they can come for somebody else. I was like, you live in a glass house, motherfucker. You need to pause yourself, right? Like we all need to do better. Like long before diversity was a keyword. My staff was 55% BIOPC, 65% 65% female, 35% LGBT, because I realized that everyone has a different perspective and they were hired based on perspective. And because I wanted different perspectives, that gave me different ethnicities, races, and backgrounds. But we also need to ca- talk about socioeconomic diversity. We need to talk about, like, do you have a poor person around you? Because that's a very, very different life. Do right. you, you know, first generation, do you, like, there's so many aspects of diversity, but we're never honest about it. If we, I, so I welcome any podcast, any conversation where yeah. we are honest I would be willing public. to bet that that diversity with so many perspectives actually probably 
contributed to your success rather than hindered it by oh. a lot. And I don't mean that in a shallow way, like different markets, different points of views, understanding different levels of economics. I mean, from your, your journey from no shoes to a whole wall, like how much more, how much more have you learned yeah. or? Oh, a hundred percent. And by the way, I, so I remember interviewing, God, I haven't thought about this memory in years. So you're getting special. So oh, I, okay. I remember I, I like, does it need I, a sound effect? Cause I, have sound <laughs> okay, sorry. I will we'll play like tinny music about back in the day. <laughs> I, when I was interviewing to go to, Oh yes. Yes. Um, as RuPaul would say, yes, queen. <laughs> sorry. Um, I love RuPaul. Um, so I was interviewing for, to go to Harvard for undergrad and like, I didn't get in. And the woman, uh, interviewed me in Indianapolis and I wasn't going to go anyway. Cause like who, who the hell had that kind of money? And I, they weren't offering me a scholarship. And she said, what diversity do you bring to the table in whatever this was, 1999, 2000. And I said to her in an early prescient moment, I said, how many poor white kids from the sticks who have never met a black person do you think you have in your school? And what she, was her response? she was like, well, that's not how we view diversity. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, your view is very narrow. Yeah. And, I, and, and I didn't get in because I told her her view was very narrow. But diversity isn't just based on arbitrary definitions. If we move from, like, we well, look at this, the, the movement right now, the cultural movement of hate against Asian Pacific Islanders, which is deplorable, right? Yeah. Why weren't we talking about this a year ago? We, because we have been moving from one ethnicity to the other. First it was black, then it was, now it's Asian. And like, when are we going to get to Latino? Latino? Yeah. And within the Latino community, the, like the hatred of different cultures, because it's not a monolithic community. Oh, we work at a restaurant with multiples and they're always talking smack in, yeah. amongst themselves. Yeah. yeah, but we don't ever, we're not ever honest. And we all are like, let's just pick the one thing to talk about. And I was like, the world is a complex place. But if we are reasonable and honest and we like are genuine, you can fuck up and, and people can accept your apology and you can move on. And then there's a whole tiny little group of puritanical ideologues who weren't loved enough as children and need more hugs who are like angry about life. They now run ground game LA. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> can you be more specific? <laughs> but it's, you know, th we, if we, if we just let those people and live in their, in their angry party, the rest of us, can be angry, but right. we don't want to stay angry and no. we don't need to stay angry. We can be hopeful and optimistic about the world. I mean, if you, you don't have to name names, but maybe like some damage control you've had to do along the way with maybe like film production or oh. individual people where, how do you get ahead of that story and kind of change their narrative? Yep. Uh, so much damage control. Um, I'll take one I can, I can talk about okay. the corporate okay, perfect, sense. Yeah. So um, Verizon Media is a conglomerate. It's the third largest conglomerate of media outlets. Um, right after uh, Facebook and Google, they have the largest footprint, the third largest footprint, digital footprint in the world. But lots of people still read Yahoo. Uh, yeah. It's still a daily source of news for a lot of people. Uh, lots of people use Yahoo Mail. They actually have a, a trust-based ecosystem that doesn't exist with some of the other social platforms. And that's sort of, I actually really respect the work that they're doing and I know about that work. Um, when they went from Oath to Verizon Media, they had to make a lot of hard choices. Like this was a, Oath was kind of a mess right, of all kinds of things. And they came to us and they said, we're going to make a lot of hard choices and we need, we need you to get, to buy us time in, in, in the industry. Like cons not, consumers weren't going to care one way or the other, but the industry was going to care and an right. industry narrative can kill you. So after three rounds of layoffs and a $4.7 billion write down within 12 months, we had them named media brand of the year by three different trade agencies by designing wow. a series of concrete programs that showed that they were here to play, that these were smart decisions and they were doing well. And they're led by an incredible CEO who's doing an incredible job, who stopped the bleeding, started the reforms, and all he needed was enough time to catch his breath to like do that. And now they're great. Is um, that what happens with most large companies? They just don't get that, get that time? Yeah, so like kind of like what regr no. regroup and like restructure and most large companies are are run by sixty five year old white straight males with no self awareness. So uh, even if you gave them time, they would just be like a Roomba bumping into walls. <laughs> um, so <laughs> and now and you see that reactionarily because now the the mandate so it is illegal to hire someone based on race. But you go into any corporate room, and I've been in those corporate rooms, and everybody's saying we need to hire a X. Which, which is fundamentally illegal. Yeah. And you see that reactionary. You see that reaction with all of these straight white male CEOs in boardrooms saying, go find me a black woman, right? Or go find me a Latin, whatever. And the thing is, I support diversity. 
But if you're finding tokens, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you still got to find the best person. They're not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even f- for us, I mean, I don't know the last time we had an audition since COVID, but I've been told by people, which I'm not going to name names, that you could be the best actor ever, but they're going to cast the 40-year-old black guy or Asian guy because you're too white. It's we, we, And we I'm get, like, okay, well, what if I was the best actor? Like, we don't care. We, we get into this with, there's all, this whole question of gay casting, right? Like, so should gay people play only be, on, are those the only people allowed to play gay roles? And I'm like, so you only want straight people to play straight roles? Yeah. Like, why, why, it's called it, acting. Yeah. <laughs> did you see Tootsie? Yeah. Have, yeah, have, like, the, have the, you the, seen White Chicks? Which, by the way, Todd Tucker did the makeup for White amazing. Chicks. Amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why, why, if Daniel Day-Lewis... White Chicks could never be made today. Ever. I, oh, yeah. I saw so it many shows. Together. So I, many movies. And I, I don't think that's good for America, right? And I don't yeah. think that most Americans feel that way. Like, I think the... the Puritanical. Bill Bird does a whole bit on his paper. Uh, is it Paper Tiger, where he talks about Brian Cranston got a bunch of flack because he played a quadriplegic. Yeah. It's like, wh- what? What did you like? Hello, <clears throat> I'm an actor. Like, am I not allowed to play that role? Apparently yeah, I, not. I mean, what we've done is we've said, unless you are what you are trying to portray in life, there's no way that you can understand. And I think that's bullshit. Yeah. And that's bullshit on an acting level and it's bullshit on a societal and cultural level because what it does is it says, I don't have empathy, so I don't trust you to have empathy right. either. The that's answer really is, well said. That's, that's what the problem is. And the problem is, I do have empathy. Yeah. So your inability yeah. to have empathy is not my problem. I sat down with, uh, to talk with a, a, a black trans woman who is a, 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 a becoming a great friend. I'm, I was so excited to meet her years ago. I've long admired her work. She was homeless. And then she's now getting her PhD at UCLA. Like this woman's journey makes my journey look like I, I mean, was coasting yeah. on, on let's roller get her, skates. Let's get her on. Oh, she, yeah. Does she have shoes too? Yeah. <laughs> you both have she you. has. She has some heels. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but I said to her, I, you know, I think, and she is one of the most reasonable, well, thoughtful people I know. And we had this conversation about the fact that like, I don't understand your struggle, but I understand struggle, right? Mm-hmm. I understand when on the the nonprofit we're working on, which we haven't even talked about, but like people have asked me, they're like, "Well, how would you we'll talk? How would you know? It's fine." It's <laughs> uh, they, people ask, you know, how would you talk to somebody who doesn't look like you? How do they believe that they trust you? And my response is, ex- yeah. are, is "Are you since, human? Like yeah, I learned are, are to do we, that in fifth grade." Yeah, are we we literally can now we we're now advocating that we should only have people right. trust people who look like them. Yeah. Like, it, this is stupid, right? Like, what kind of a bullshit question is that? And somebody says, Isn't oh, that the opposite of Dr. King, that you're <laughs> not judged on the right. on the color of your skin, but the yeah. content of your character? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there are a whole lot of people who feel that should only apply to one race, which would make him roll over in his grave. Right. Um, and that's a problem, right? Like, the, the thing is, we've gotten away from a society based on truth, honesty, and empathy. And empathy. And yeah. if we stay in a society based on truth, on truth, honesty, and empathy, you are allowed to make mistakes. You are allowed to mess up. You are allowed to admit, oh, well, going to that party 20 years ago was a bad idea. Right? Like, <laughs> you know what? You went to the yeah, party. This, this tw- tweet from 2001 is going to cancel me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when it, I was 14. Like, you know. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like, since when? We went through, I, you know, I represented Kobe for the last several years of his life. And, you know, it's very public what happened um, at 14 years prior. Right, and he has been had been a model citizen and a huge contributor to society, and we were we had modeled. We knew it was my job to make sure that 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 narrative never overtook the work that we were doing. Right, mm-hmm. that the the counter narrative of the angry people in the corner needed to not overtake the narrative. Now, thankfully, we weren't manipulating anything. We were allowing space for the public who loved him to have a conversation yeah. and a reasonable conversation. He had very publicly addressed those allegations and dealt with them very traumatically with him and his family 14 years prior. Yep. Now we want to come back because there's a, a there is a a movement in Hollywood, the Me Too movement, which I respect the the I respect all of that movement. We want to come back and we want to dredge up something that was publicly litigated 14 years ago and ban someone from ever having anything to do with anyone ever again. Like there's got to be, and and to say nothing of the fact that the Me Too movement is incomplete in that it's like. 
it's like, let's uh, pat ourselves on the back for doing this. I was like, cool. Do you want to start with the gay community? Because I could, I, th- they never me too themselves. I mean, Brian Singer me too himself right off a set. But like, right, right. like the, the movement never got there. The movement never got to sports. The movement never got to music. So, but let's pat Also, our- I think the narrative there, man, like what about even a Robert Downey Jr.? Like you're allowed, like, isn't that the stories we're supposed to champion? Hey, I made a mistake or I wasn't doing yeah. well. I got now, help. I, I got I help. I bettered myself. I mo- yeah. That. That's supposed to be a good thing. It's literally the fundamental principle of our criminal justice system is that you pay your debt to society and you move forward. And you make better choices. And you make better choices. Now, if you didn't improve or you were a serial, horrible, whatever, like that's a separate conversation, sure. Right. But like there are a whole lot of people who made a mistake. And, you know, you look at the, the Al Franken of it all. Right. you like, it's a single photo. And yet the Democrats are like, we need puritanical idealism of like, well, can't have that. I was like, that man was a talented policymaker and a good person. And we were like, all right, screw him. Yeah. Right? Like, I, it doesn't make sense. And by the way, the vast majority of the public doesn't feel that way either. No. Everyone's just afraid of the next headline. But like you said before, they're, they don't control the, the clickbait. And that's what, yeah. that's what everyone... Yeah, because the average everyday American doesn't have you yeah. know, 50 grand in media to toss in to defend yeah. themselves to, to push out their message. And when did you come... Going back to Kobe and working on the, the animated short that won him... Um, Dear basketball. Oscar, Dear basketball. Yeah. Um, when did you come in and what was just a quick sense? If you're allowed to talk about yeah, it, what, what uh, you did on that. Verizon had acquired Deer Basketball and they said, uh, Kobe wants to win an Oscar. Can you please talk to him? And so I was brought in and I was like, all right, well, this is what we got to do. Like, this is, this is the path. I, my, my thing is... Can you break that down for us a little bit? Like, yeah, what, yeah. like so, what the path would be? So, yeah. So, I methodically... Uh, my path uh, that I do with anything is I take a look, whether it's Kobe or Deer Basketball or LA, I'm like, let's take a look at the entire landscape. We do not rest a judgment on anything, right? Like, I want to understand every nuance, every nook, every cranny, everything that could possibly move this. And so I did that with this animated short. Mm-hmm. Um, I had You also did that when you were an intern, which is probably <laughs> what got you the job. Right. Yeah, it turns out that I might be broken in my head mentally, but it helps in life. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but th- this ability to dissect, because by the way, I believe... I, this is a side note on this, but this informs the whole thing, which is I believe every choice you make can matter, right? And when I was super poor and I had to stand in front of this open air deli at the Walmart and all of these po'boys, which are not the lovely po'boys from New Orleans, they were like white hoagies with turkey meat and a packet I'm of- like uh, Wonder Bread. Man- yeah, yeah, packet of mayonnaise and, and mustard in there. They were all priced the same, but some of them had more meat than other ones, right? So you had to like go through and look and see which one had more meat because you had more value for your money. And that meant that I could split the sandwich in half and I could have half for lunch today and half for lunch the day after, right? Like that small decision of where that $2.50 went mattered. I bring that same philosophy to everything that I do, which is I don't obsess over it, but I'm informed about it. And so in the case of Kobe, it was like, okay, it's this branch, it's this process. So it's the animated and short film, live action shorts branch, right? which is weird because it used to be the shorts branch. It used to be live action shorts and animated shorts. Mm. And then they created animated feature and they tossed a whole bunch of extra animators in there. This is the composition of the branch. This is the message that they would want to respond to. This is the message that matches where Kobe is. This needs to not be an egotistical play, which was a really hard because it was a four and a half minute short about Kobe Bryant. <laughs> and it was his love letter, goodbye to basketball. Here's the brand equity we have for these people are based in LA and love Kobe Bryant. How do we leverage that brand equity? How do we get through the three processes? Because you've got to get shortlisted, then you've got to get nominated, and then you have to shift your audience to the full academy for a win. And then, so how do you reach these people? How do you engage them where they live their lives? Because you've got to stop asking, how do I, what message do I want to put out in the world? And you've got to start asking what message are people ready to receive and where are they, right, in in receiving it. Mm-hmm. And so then we designed that campaign. Then Me Too broke. And it was like, all right, here's all of the layers that go in. But I didn't sit around when Me Too broke and said, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like I had a colleague who was like, you need to get him to go on national television and address this directly. And it was, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't need to hyper react to anything. You didn't set up an Oprah interview? Yeah. <laughs> they wanted Robin Roberts. And I was like, no, we're good. Oh, we're yeah, good. Rob, Rob. yeah, I was like, we're, we're good. And, 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 you know, I have the counterculture opinion. I don't think that recent interview was a good interview. I don't mm-hmm. think it was, I think it did what it, I did. It did what everyone in that interview wanted it to do. Right. That doesn't mean it was a good interview. Right. Um, but, you know, and then we methodically went down that path with my, it was me and Molly Carter who ran Kobe Inc., who is one of the smartest, most brilliant women in the world. And the two of us were step lockstep every step of the way on every choice that we made. 
And we followed our path, the same path that we laid out nine months before, but because we had taken into account every eventuality of who needed to see it, what they were going to think, how it was going to happen, we were prepared for whatever happened. And it was a close race. And I believe that that short deserved to win and it won. But, you know, Garden Party almost beat us, right? So, you know, it, things happen. Yeah. So on a campaign like that, how, like, what's your team like? Like how many? Oh. It, I know you said Kobe Inc. And, and you, but. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I am never alone. I have a huge, incredible supportive staff. Uh, you know, now I'm, I'm chief strategy officer of an agency that has hundreds of employees. My team at that time, I had dozens of employees. So I've got social experts. I've got digital experts. I've got paid media folks. I've got creative. So all of those team members right. made everything happen, right? Like I'm the guy who has like the wild and crazy idea, but you do not want me to execute it, right? Like you get like, it would be like, having me change the oil in my car like something's gonna blow up like it's not gonna work like i'm like he sounds like me <laughs> i i'm i but i so I every have a, organization needs a mad scientist but you just got to have people that keep you from walking off the ledge uh yeah 100 percent. and i have the most incredible people around me in my personal life and my professional life in every aspect of my professional life i love them to death i would not be able to do what i do Without all of them, um, I push them forward in everything they, that they do. They deserve all the credit in the world. Um, every mentor I've ever had. So I had a full team of digital, social, right. research, analytics, like uh, people from every stretch of this. Like I had an army working on every aspect of this. It was my job to stay out of the weeds and stay looking at the big picture so that we didn't lose sight of where we were going. You don't want to get caught looking down the field at the next game, so to speak. Right? In an Oscar campaign or a Golden Globe campaign, how for an individual like a like Kobe or an actor an actress like a Jennifer Lawrence when she's going up for her Silver Linings playbook involved in a campaign for an Oscar or a Golden Globe yeah so it depends on a person to person basis how much they want to be some people are like just tell me where to go and what to show up Kobe was intimately involved he he was a well informed individual yeah. so it was a lot of a lot of intimate conversations about what to do where to go but he was also somebody who trusted he was like, I, I, I trust that you're an expert, right? Like I don't go to the doctor and tell them where to cut and how to treat. And I don't tell my, my hairstylist like how to cut my hair. <laughs> I would look like a weed whacker. Yeah, it's super <laughs> fun to be a doctor in that position. Um, so yeah, but he trusted. Can you lose a campaign by not doing anything? Yes, and you can okay. lose a campaign by doing too much. Okay, you can. It's like a careful balance of everything. We're in the middle of a campaign right now, knock on wood, uh, that we get good news coming out of tomorrow, but... It's a careful conversation, and and it, again, it's an it's an interesting conversation because it's it's with an incredible short film that has a social justice message, and you need to embrace that message, but you also need to not just be concerned with the message that you are putting out in the world, but the message that the world is ready to receive, and and have an honest conversation mm. about what that is. Awesome. So I know you have your own podcast, <laughs> The World According to Craig. Yeah, which is The World According to a lot of other people. Uh, and it's, it's like a, it's a tongue-in-cheek title, thankfully. What are we discussing on this? I mean, what kind of guests are you bringing on? Yeah, so I bring on everyday individuals that I know who have really incredible stories that I think we can learn from. There's always a key takeaway um, uh, from each of them about something we can apply to life. So with Vanessa, who was on my podcast, the the, uh, the amazing black trans woman who's a mm. PhD uh, student at UCLA, it was you know really learning from her journey and about hers was it was it, it's a phrase that I've told her that I'm openly stealing which is it's not about bringing people to the table. It's about bringing the table to the people, right? And that was the key component. Everything she, she, she could be a puritanical ideologue with everything that had happened to her in life, with how the system had failed her, with all those other things. And she instead turned around and said, nope, I'm going to make this better. I'm, gonna, I'm going to bring the table over right. here. I'm going to bring people who don't participate in those conversations, those conversations. At the same time, I met my friend, uh, Dr. Russell Boer, who is the number two in the COVID unit at UCLA, and he designed the vaccination, who gets the vaccine when and who, die, who has to die if we're short of resources. He designed all of those protocols. And we were talking about our relationship to medicine and, and our relationship to doctors and like how we view medicine the wrong way. We keep thinking like, medicine makes me better and doctors make me better, which is not true. It, it medicine, medicine keeps you alive so that your body can get better on its right. own. Uh, and so we were, it's, it's always a reframe of something that we, that we like to talk about, uh, in that I think is going to be helpful to at least one person who watches it. And then every Thursday, there's a straight to camera, sort of what I call off the cuff, which is a rant, uh, which is sometimes me railing against <laughs> Gen Z, uh, sometimes me, uh, railing. What you brought us earlier was a great example. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, rant. Yeah, well, well practiced. Well, I yeah. forgot what we were talking about the first 20 minutes. Go ahead. So um, the rants on Thursdays. Yeah. So rants on Thursdays, interviews on Tuesdays. Um, 
And their answer always informed by the people I've met and the people I've talked to. And it's generally on this topic. I find that I can really never shut up about honesty, empathy, and, and like compassion in, in the world. Uh, it's amazing. So, you know, they, we, I, I'm really proud of it. Uh, I don't have nearly the amazing setup that you do or the experience or the technical expertise, but it's, uh, but I enjoy it. It's it. And it's this whole thing. We just threw this together. Where, real quick. where yeah. can we watch it? Or we want to plug you. So where yep. can we listen? Watch? Oh yeah. So, um, it's the world at Craig. So AT, okay. uh, the, cause the world, according to Craig was too long. Uh, so <laughs> things I should have thought about. Now on CBS. I'll yeah. have the, I'll, I'll have the handles in there. I'll yeah. get them yeah, from you. It's, when yeah, we're yeah, done the, the world at Craig on um, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, so great. Uh, check it out if you can. Uh, yeah. And I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. You're also working on an awesome nonprofit here in LA called Rise Together. What kind of issues are you guys tackling? Like, what are you? We're, yeah, we're tackling one, one, one issue, issue, one issue. One issue, and it's the biggest issue. So make like, it better. Yeah, <laughs> save Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, this is the fundamental thing about LA is that why I approached it like I would any other client. Where's my value add? Right, like what okay. can I do that's different? And the reality is that we we know the problems in LA. Like we just don't give voice to them. So two hundred and twenty thousand people voted for Eric Garcetti in his first term as mayor out of a voter pool of two point two million. Lagos, Nigeria has a higher turnout rate for mayor. So 2022 is a make or break election for this city. And we know that we need people to show up and be emotionally invested. We know that 91% of people in in Los Angeles agree on the issues that we need to talk about. How do we know that? Like what data, research, polling, consumer behavior. You know, we you don't get ninety one percent of people to agree on anything like pizza toppings, much less issues. But things the are the best so free throw shooter in the NBA is at ninety one percent. Right. So like. f- the, the so the the people in LA agree, but they also agree that their elected officials don't share those same priorities. How a city is unanimous and its elected officials are not shows a, a really poor management of public perception and really poor leadership. Sounds like a disconnect too between hundred percent in charge and right, those who right, are because everybody involved. in charge wants to say, "Well, I'm doing this great stuff," and I'm like, "The, the people are not ready to hear your message. You are Kendall Jenner in a Pepsi commercial right now. Like <laughs> it is, it is, it is. So it is really." meeting people in their anger and frustration and leading them out of their anger and frustration to believe that there is more that is possible from this city and that they showing up can change that, right? We can have better than 10% turnout for a mayoral election, right. and we will. And when those people show up and vote from a middle ground, from a reasonable middle where 85% of people live, we will find ourselves in a much better city where we're practically addressing real changes to policy. You want to talk about what should we do about homelessness? What should we do about affordability? Well, those are the top two issues. What should we do okay. about crime and policing, social justice? I've read 40,000 pages of policy materials at this time. I will have an encyclopedic conversation about it. But we are not at a place where people are willing to join that conversation. So our sole focus at Rise Together is getting people to participate in that conversation because if it otherwise when when the time rolls around later this year and early next when people are running for office it's just going to be a whole bunch of insular candidates and institutional candidates who've always been in elected right. office for 20 years talking to each other and hoping that a narrow slice of the public is willing to listen to them I think we can and we will do better by bringing more people to that conversation. Everyone wants to have a conversation on the merits. Me too. Let's have a conversation on the merits. Yeah. I believe that my merits will win, but in, but ain't nobody going to have a conversation about anything if you don't have the other half of the conversation. I feel like if you turn on the news right now, they literally are saying defund the police and there's more crime than ever. So it's like, how are we, Yeah, it's, you know, it's like you're giving people two different, like. We've got to remove this idea that everything's zero sum politics. We right. say that or in order. binary. Yeah, just in, one or the other. Yeah, in, in order to be pro-social justice, you have to be anti-police, which is not true. In order to be pro-development, you have to be anti-community, which is not true, right? Like, there's so much more we can do by focusing on that middle ground and that same technology, that same media that we talked about, that's what we're doing. We are shifting yeah. consumer perception by amplifying the voices of the middle that rise together. And it's designed to shift the entire ground under the 2022 race to make sure that it is focused on reasonability, and on the priorities of the people, as opposed to releasing a new drone noise ordinance in the middle of COVID, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tone, tone deaf. <laughs> so, it, yeah, we're we're I'm real proud of it, and it's it, it, we've. How we, long has that been up and running? So it was a year and a half worth of research and analysis before we launched at the beginning uh, in January 2021. So we've been up and running just a little over two months. Have raised several hundred thousand dollars to and continue to raise money. So if anybody's listening, congratulations! Yeah. Yeah. Rise together. LA, go and donate. Um, and you know it's great. We've got to put. We've got to raise. He's, and s- he's doing better than, than a 
<laughs> yeah. He's only going to fundraise two months. Yeah. yeah. Well, he has a much better cause. We're just, talk- <laughs> we're just talking. That's also a good point. So I'll stop talking now. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we were going to raise and spend $2 million in consumer media. There's no, no fancy consultants are getting paid on anything. This isn't your typical, you know, political organization. RNC isn't doing this pro bono. (laughs) Everybody, everybody's volunteering. So, uh, that's where we are on that front, which is really exciting. Our campaigns will start rolling out in May, uh, and we'll be in market and then you'll see it all over the city. And you know, it's consumer marketing. It's what I do every single day. It's shift big picture consumer sentiment. And in this case, to a place where they already want to go. Yeah. I'm not trying to convince people of something they don't want. People want to move forward. They want to believe. 91%. They, they, are, they are optimistic about the city. 75% of people are hopeful about the city's future, even while the same 75% don't trust the hell out of anyone who's elected to run this city. That says to me there's a disconnect. And if we remove one of those things, the other thing can progress even yeah. further. So That's amazing. it's really exciting. Um, and, you know, I think we can get a, a raft of people who, you know, a third of city council is under active criminal investigation, right? Like the only people to leave, oh. <laughs> the only people to leave city council, the only way to leave city council is to go get elected to another office or go to prison. That apparently is the L.A. model. Uh, wow. And so, you know, it, we're, we're looking for a different model. Yeah. <laughs> the one that isn't based on corruption in prison and the one isn't based on 15 people running their council districts as if they were oligarchs. But that's, you know, that <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm like that's a whole that's other podcast. That's what you podcast. do in your spare time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. spare time. Yeah, my, well, my, we're on board, so let us know how we can help you. Uh, awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. RiseTogether.la. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we're have, we'll have a whole lot of public conversations. We'll just set up this, this setup outside my house, and we'll have a public conversation in front of everybody, and it'll, it'll be this, great. Uh, this doesn't move easily, so maybe we can get them here yeah. instead. Oh, uh, it's, uh, a, it's about bringing the table to the people. Exactly. Well, in this case, it's wired <laughs> to the wall, so it doesn't move i'm so sorry valid okay (laughs) noted we'll Uh, figure out an alternative would you i mean it seems a little bit smaller in comparison to everything you just spoke about but would you give us a quick like three minute of your actual job because i know you're you're doing multiple things all around it because you're insane (laughs) in a good way because people with broken childhoods usually overachieve yeah my therapist (laughs) says it was either heroin or this so i think you made the good call there uh never done heroin so i'm guessing (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe not either way um you give us a little i know know i'm looking at your resume over here and it just because page is long but give us a quick just give give us a quick well everything we've talked about is actually the product of what i do for a living right which is i you know i work for one of the largest entertainment culture marketing firms in the country and our focus is on using where culture is to help brands meet people where they live their lives and i i serve as chief strategy officer so it's my job to oversee digital social research and analytics but at the core of it i oversee a strategic business consultancy where we look at where society is going in a year 18 months three years five years down the road and we help clients people and companies meet society where it's headed instead of responding to it in real time and it's the idea of literally trying to predict the future, which is right. fun. Uh, but we've gotten pretty good at it. Um, I was the only person at the beginning of COVID to remind everyone that the pandemic of 1918 ended in December of 1920. Yep. And then you had uh, the roaring 20s. Yep. Uh, right uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of our achievements on that vein. So I spend my day doing what all of this is in my personal life. Apparently, right. you know, once you start singing a tune, you just sing the tune everywhere. And so... I think Wilson Luna said the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Yeah. I don't know if that's totally true, but I guess it's totally true, but yeah, there's definitely mostly. Yeah. If you're late one place, you're probably late everywhere. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, So it's, you know, it's, it's great on that front in that we work for major multinationals. We work for startups, we work for individuals and we really try to look at, okay, what is your footprint in the world? Who is your audience and what do they want to hear? And then what do you want to tell them and how do we marry those two messages together? And use every part of the ecosystem to attach to that. So it, it, you know, it can be launching a new taco, or it can be changing the world. Um, and tacos do so yeah. good right now. For a oh, small yeah, brand awesome. like a, say, Paper Crane Productions, that's it, too specific. Um, just say, <laughs> a, just say a small <laughs> podcast. Say small podcast. <laughs> um, what's the most valuable thing you think right now? Is it is it getting your social going? Is it like blowing up on? IG and and Twitter and finding that audience or is it literally like making just like good quality content, keeping your head down, do good work and eventually you'll get rewarded? Um, So all of the above. Uh, So the answer is uh, from a strategic perspective, I would would say 
my job is to is to would be to work with somebody on what's your message and what are you selling and is it good quality content and then all those people who work with me who are smarter than me mm-hmm. would tell you here's how you get your social up here's how you get your engagement i up. see like here's what you need to be doing in paid media like i the, the the thing that i am proudest of is that i know what i don't know and i know enough to be dangerous in almost every category and not enough to be successful right so right. i have i work with a whole lot of people who would be like here's how you do it on social here's how you do it but i will tell you you can get the, every tactic right from social to paid media to guests and all those other things mm-hmm. but if you don't have the core if you don't have a message that people want to hear or are ready to hear yeah it doesn't matter what you do over here you're never going to go anywhere yeah. so my job is that core and then their job is packaging Ta-da. and, <laughs> and presentation. putting a bow on it and yeah, 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 yeah so yeah. you're like steve was and you have surrounded yourself with a bunch of steve jobs yeah, sure. Yeah, I. I <laughs> you yeah. never now. No, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. You didn't no. read his book. No, it's no, a good no, book. No, no I read I, it I, twice. All right, all right. right it's really good. It. He basically <laughs> said I created one of the best software companies in the world in terms of its actual software, but it would have stayed in my mom's garage, and yep. no one would have ever known about it had someone not come along and helped me sell it. Yep. Enter Steve Jobs, yep. and obviously that's a very simplified version, but you yeah. know, y- y- you you have that ability to find the actual. The burning ember, that core, the message, the story yeah. it would be the script for a movie, and then it sounds like. And you, then you get the director, you, you get, get the, everybody yeah, else, you get the financing, you get the yeah, yeah. And I'm not even. I would get the writer. Like I would just know what that core burning ember is, and I believe that core burning ember is that the that we are in a place where people are craving truth and authenticity and empathy and and non nonpartisan non ideologue mm-hmm. right like reasonability. My whole thing is it's not about right or left. It's not about rich or poor. It's not about this or that. It is about reasonability. We are just a group of people who need to be reasonable. And reasonable ne- reasonability is based in honesty and empathy and truth. It is like, okay. And also being allowed to hold different positions. Yeah. Um, I disagree with a whole hell of a lot of people. And I work with them. Yeah. Like I, we have donors to Rise Together who r- ran Bernie Sanders' campaign in California. And I've got donors to Rise Together who donate to Turning Point USA. Those two people agree on one thing, which is that we are the way forward. Right. I think also it kind of comes to like nothing in life is really that binary. And when you no. get to like, when you get to that level of, Protestants warring with Catholics or Hutu and the Tutsi or the Crusades yeah, or the Spanish wins. Inquisition. Like it, it does one thing all really well. It, it kills people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the one thing they all have in common when you get to that level of I'm all right, you're all wrong, anything else, you're done. Any progress society has ever made has been the result of coming together in spite of our differences to build on common ground, not by living in our differences and asking people to come to us. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, see, there it is. That's a good. That's our takeaway for yeah, today. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Glad we got that out. <laughs> no, I'm exhausted. You. <laughs> Thank you so much. We got a little more time. Like, yeah, is there anything there that you, no, you want to bring up that you want to talk about that we haven't covered? No, I think we literally hit on everything I mean, that I could yeah. possibly ever say. <laughs> that's not true. That's not, that's that not is true. not true. That's Don't not lie true. to us, sir. We can do a whole we, separate. We want honesty here <laughs> yeah. and truth at this podcast. We could do a whole separate episode on <laughs> the underbelly of the internet. We could do a whole separate episode on LA and how we can save this city. We do a whole separate episode on solving homelessness. Like it's actually solvable. I want everyone to believe that solving homelessness is possible. It's just the people making the decisions are making really poor decisions. Uh, we can do all those. Uh, you, we could just have our own podcast. We can have like a, a, a spinoff, right? We, you can, yeah. we, oh. this can become Frasier to, to every, cheers. Every, su- every Sunday. Then let's just finish off with a future question then. Um, tell, me, tell me what direction you would like to see, uh, I guess, and things are starting to turn on. Mm-hmm. Restaurants are theoretically about to maybe open. Yep, things are go lifting. To, I'm going to go to brunch okay. after this. It's yeah. great. So what is one thing you're, I guess, ready for or excited about for where you're headed, company or personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe what's one thing you're not totally ready for? So I am thrilled about Rise Together. I think that we can and will save this city. And we save this city by getting the people of this city emotionally invested in saving this city, right? And choosing to care. And about choosing to care and operate from a reasonable middle ground. I think we can and will shift the ground under the elections of 2022, and that will lead to much, much better outcomes. Um, we, we can solve homelessness. We can solve affordability. These aren't, this isn't rocket science, right? Like I'm not trying to reverse engineer a plane. I'm, the next six months is the public rollout of that, so I am thrilled about that 
What I am not thrilled about is that until we save those things, like that'll be a pilot for all of America, to be honest. Like mm -hmm. if we can save LA, so goes LA, so goes California, so go, like it's the second largest city in the country. We can be a pilot role model for how a city should embrace and interact and engage and support its people. What I'm not excited about is in the meantime, until we accomplish that, there are a whole lot of people listening to puritanical ideologues who want to sell you some version of snake oil that makes you feel better about life because you think that you are holier than thou, a self-appointed arbiter of X topic. And I am excited for those people to no longer control the narrative. And I'm really not excited for the period until we can get there. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a, have you ever thought about running for office? A lot of people keep bringing that I up mean, to me. I mean, I'm literally <laughs> want to vote for you like right now and be like on your team. Well, for fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> a lot of people like. keep bringing that up. I my my response is I am really really focused on getting Rise Together set up okay. and 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 because there, that is the without which nothing for anyone running for office, no matter who's running for office. Um, but a lot of people keep bringing that up to me. So yeah. that is a, a conversation to have. <laughs> so we're going to have interviewed you before you yeah. become <laughs> the governor someday. Thank you for Thank like you all so the, much yeah. for having me. Inside, I, really I, I think we might end up bringing this guy back. He knows how to <laughs> yeah. We have like 85 different topics we could talk about. It, it shocks me every time I get back, invited back anywhere. So I'm, love, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> awesome. What? You're competent, you care, and you're interesting. Like, I don't know what else to, like, that's enough. That's the nicest things that anyone has ever said about me. You should see her. What, they, what people say behind closed doors. It's on the prompter behind you. So. <laughs> <laughs> we just read off Jen that. just Perfect. texted me yeah. exactly yeah. what to Perfect. say to you. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for Craig, having me. Craig, thank it. you for being here and for dropping all the wisdom and just spit. I, I just love getting to, to <laughs> let people talk about what they love to talk about. It'll be just fine. Oh, right? I can get a soapbox. Carry one around with me. All right. Well, um, for today, that is it. Um, thank you for joining us for another episode of So How'd You Get Here? I'm Angelo. This is Tony. And we will see you next week. <laughs>